Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I thought to you people, uh, Sunday, on Sunday, it was a little bit rainy in LA, and it was around 70 or 68 when I woke up, and me and Joanne were going to watch the football game, and I got to put on a, a jersey, a heavy jersey I had, and then yesterday it was sort of cool, and I got all excited because I have so many sweaters. You know, from when I was by coastal for two years, I would buy sweaters because I was back east all the time, and I was all excited. I'm like, yes, I can finally wear my sweaters. It's so great because, you know, it's good that it's supposed to be 70 at night, and all of a sudden, I pull out my phone this morning, and I look at the weekend uh, forecast, and it's supposed to be 98. Okay, so now, once again, it's it's the middle of October, okay? I mean, it's so going to be so hot in Burbank, I swear I'll see a ghost in the half sheet. I mean, I'm sitting there, and it's so hot, and I'm like, can I just wear a sweater? My birthday is the end of the month. When I was in college, it was a great time. You know, that last week of October, romantic, fall back east. And now it's like I'm sitting there going, on my birthday, you know, if I want to go out to a nice dinner, I'm not going to be wearing a nice blazer or a sweater. I'm going to have to wear a T-shirt. So anyway, enough about that. Hopefully, hopefully we'll break. I don't We're going to ask my guest. My guest is Amy Hill. How you doing, Amy? Hi. Now, what's your feeling on the weather? Do Because you, you're from South Dakota originally. Well, I'm originally from South Dakota. God, you've done your research. Oh, yeah. Yes, and I remember we left when I was six. Okay. So, But I do remember jumping off the back porch into snow and swimming in it because it was that deep. And it that, was over my head. And that's what's great. Now, so, mm-hmm. but, so, but now what do you think of the weather? Because also you, you went to San Francisco, I believe, after that? Well, I was raised in Seattle. Okay. So, so it was really just, you know, cold and wet most of the time. It never really got that. You know, when it was sunny, everybody would run outside. And uh, try to get a tan, right? In you know, 50 degree weather. Uh, and then I moved to Tokyo, and I lived there for a while, and that had pretty good seasons. There was never really snow in Tokyo, and then San Francisco, same thing. There was really no snow, but it was cold in the summer. <laughs> so I, I, but I, I miss. I mean, you know, I like it. Was, I got to wear sweaters and exactly. coats. And you're wearing a, a long sleeve shirt today. Because just in case. The studio's cold. The studio's cold, but it's a very thin long sleeve because you really don't buy the thick. I just, I feel sad. I like to try to travel to Chicago or New York during the winter just to get a hit of something. It's well, it's a hit. It's you know what it is. It's a hit of realization that we actually we live in a great area because yes. we bitch about the traffic. We do. We complain like. Yes. We, it's so funny. What I always laugh is people. Uh, all they do is they they complain. There's a drought. There's a drought. There's a drought. And then as soon as it starts raining on Facebook, they go, Oh my God, it's raining. It's like, well, you can't get rid of a drought without, without rain. Without rain. Well, you know, I was raised. I it was I lived in Seattle. Right. And it was wet all the time, so I'm used to that. I don't even carry an umbrella. I may have a, a jacket with a hood. Right. That's that's so- about as far as I go. <laughs> and if you carry an umbrella, I always sit there. I do the stupid a stupid mistake. Or I leave it in my trunk, and yeah. I go, well, then I have to walk out to my car. I don't get wet anyway, yeah. so just What's the hell What's water going to do? You yeah. know, it doesn't damage you. So I don't really care. And I don't, like, do my hair or anything, so I don't worry about my hair either. And neither I do I. That. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say I don't. But yeah, so, you know, wet doesn't bother me. But I do, you know, I really, people here don't really get the rain when they drive. It's awful. It's really crazy. But I've said this before, and in all honesty, what cracks me up is everybody always says Los Angeles is people who aren't from Los Angeles. Yes. So why can't we drive in the rain? Because we're... I came from, we know how to, so there's so many people we should be able to drive in the rain. It right. makes no sense. I guess when you just get off the plane or park here, you go, oh. They're hypnotized I, okay. or yeah. something? I don't know what they're, the lull of uh, the city here. I, I don't know. I don't understand either. So growing up, you traveled a lot. Now, now, did you always, did, did you always want to be an actor? How did you want to get, I mean, how did this oh, happen? totally. I mean, when I was in Deadwood, there, I had, we lived on a farm. We weren't farmers, but my dad. He worked in the, he was a heavy equipment operator and worked in the mine, he the was, gold was he, mine. Was he Finnish? He was Finnish American, didn't speak English until he went to school. Really? We lived in a community, it's like Chinatown, but it was Fintown. You know, okay. it was like tall <laughs> Finns, but my mom was Japanese, which is another story. But, you know, all everybody around me spoke Finnish, except for my mom. <laughs> well, then how did her and your dad communicate? Well, in English, <laughs> bad English. But my dad was in the occupation forces, and he met my mom in Japan and brought her back to Deadwood. Okay. Of course, that was not her image of what the you know America was. <laughs> I know. She had you're... pictures of Time magazine, and and I remember her telling me, you know, you're so different, not like a Time magazine. I'm like, I'm so sorry, mom. But 
you know, because she'd gone through the war and a lot of uh, difficulty, to her, it was, you know, better than what she'd, the worst she'd been in Japan during the war. The worst she'd seen was not as bad as being in Deadwood, taking care of animals and my dad. (laughs) (laughs) But she felt really lonely. And I think after a while, you know, without her food and her people around, they decided to move to Seattle, which was a good compromise between the two of them. Seattle, there's a lot of Scandinavians there. So he could go to his sauna every Thursday, which was when he did it. And then my mom had her Japanese friends, and they had fish, lots of fish. Sure, there you go. Now, but when did you get the acting book? Oh, oh, that's right. I grew, I wanted to do it. I mean, I remember because I didn't have any friends in Seattle. I watched TV, and I just would create little scenarios myself. My mom would say that she thought that I might be in need of a therapist okay. or something because she would hear all these voices coming from the living room and she'd walk in and it'd just be me. So, I mean, what were some of the shows you would watch? I mean, what were some of your influences? Oh, well, the influences were, uh, I think, a lot of old movies. Anything that was in black and white. I watched Shirley Temple. I watched uh, all the Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire musicals. I watched The Three Stooges. I watched Phil, oh, oh. Phil, Phil Silvers? Yeah, Phil Silvers and all of his movies, you know, when he was like in the military and stuff. Anyway, so I just would create my own stories and I would in, do a lot of imaginary scenarios based on the animals that I, you know, was also in, encountered. <laughs> I was in my imagination and I acted it out, but I didn't see people like me. And so when we moved to Seattle, I would put on shows. I watched a lot of TV too. There wasn't a lot. Right. There was basically three channels. Isn't that weird? I, I was yeah. thinking about it because we were talking the other day how the Today Show is like four hours. Then you have Kathy Lee after yeah. that. And it used to be that Today Show was like two hours. And it's because people watch soap operas and mm-hmm. people watch game shows. And, and, and you forget that back then... TV went ended at two. Like you know, if you fell asleep on the couch and then you woke up at two in the morning, you might hear the American the Star Spangled Banner, and then just see that yeah. that uh, screen. And wasn't there like a Native American or something? I don't know. Right? But she saw there was something some crazy thing on the screen, and it would the when you turn the TV off, it would go down to that little tiny point, right. and then the dot would like explode. <laughs> yeah. So now you're you're in Seattle, and you're 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 learning you're you're learning that you have a talent even though your mom thinks you should see a therapist yes i had a talent and i would put on shows for the we had an italian uh immigrant family that lived across the street and i would perform on the front porch for them and they'd sit facing the picture window as though they were watching tv see that's so cool though it was cool but in my mind you know it seemed normal but now i think how crazy is that yeah but that that they nobody thought it was weird Well, so so now at what point did you decide that you're going to follow this road? It took a long time because, you know, I didn't see people like me, you know, on television. There weren't any Asian people except for on Bonanza. It was the cook. And then, you know, Mr. Eddie's father. There was, uh, what was her name? Mrs. Oh, my God. I don't know. It was Coach Bonanza's father. It was Miss, I I can't think of the name. (sighs) But anyway... And she was as close to my mom, but she was way nicer than my mom. You know, she was very polite and sweet and gentle. gentle. And my mother was like this crazy Japanese lady who, she had an, a, an amazing sense of humor and was always telling jokes and laughing and acting crazy. And I think she was the one who actually influenced my, my uh, comedy style and my storytelling style because she loved to tell stories. She entertained our church all the time. We would have people over all the time and she would be entertaining them. So I guess my role model as an entertainer was my mother. <laughs> but I still didn't know that I could make a living at it. I'd right. probably have to have a real job and then I'd just entertain at home or for the Italians across the street. Through the bay, went through the window. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, in high school, I uh, summoned up by 11th grade the courage because we had three-year high school. By 11th grade, I summoned up the courage to sign up for drama. And I was terrified that, you know, people would say, are you kidding me? Because that seemed like, you know, that was for 
other people, not me. Well, it turns out it is for other people. It's all of the others, right. all the weird people in the school. But you know what? We were a family. It was the best place ever. And the teacher was so encouraging. He told me that I was great and I could do this. I mean, he just thought the world of me and that kind of uh, support and mentoring is what every kid needs. You know, my parents were not involved in anything theatrical. I mean, they were funny at home, but they weren't. My dad was a meat inspector and my mom was a cook at a hospital kitchen at the, you know, in in the final analysis, that's all she did. I mean, that was a great thing. She raised us and they both did great. But, um, you know, there wasn't anybody around me that showed me the way. There was no industry in Seattle. Right, that's what I was thinking. So, yeah. so now when do you sit there and actually start pursuing it? You're, you're in high school. You're, in high school. You're, you're in drama. But when do you sit there and go, I can do something with this? Uh, well, I never did. I never thought I could do anything with it, but I loved it so much that all I did was that. I mean, I was in every play. I did regional stuff in the, you know, in Seattle, I was, did summers theater. I did every class that was possible. I joined the the Northwest Filmmakers Co-op and started making movies in my backyard. But still, this was all stuff that I just wanted to do for me. Right. It was just me being creative. And then when it was time to go to college, I remember I wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon because Paul Newman went there. And it's, it's a great acting school. <laughs> it's a great acting school. But I also wanted to get the heck out of Seattle and create a new persona because I really felt like I was other. I wanted to be somebody special, and I never felt that way. So my mom's Japanese, my dad's Finnish, and my mom said, um, you can go to Japan. Or, and my dad was like, you can go to Finland. And I thought Finland was so off the map. I just didn't understand what was there. Japan, at least, there was some kind of, I had a context for it. <laughs> so I got accepted to a university there. And I went um, right after graduation from high school to Tokyo and went to school in Tokyo. My plan was for a year and then come back and go to Carnegie Mellon if I could. And it turns out that was like the amazing choice because people like me, Hapa, multiracial Japanese, are hot in the entertainment business in Tokyo. Okay. So because I had this like background in theater, I just like fell into being an entertainer there. I had a radio show. I was a host of a bunch of things, live shows. I traveled the country. I made a bunch of money. Well, Japanese money, right. not a lot of money, but it was good money for me. And I had a really great life in Tokyo. And one day after like seven years and being married to a Japanese guy and living life there, I realized that what I wanted to do was act. And I, with my husband, moved back to San Francisco and studied at ACT. And it was the heyday of improv which I didn't know even existed. I remember the moment that I took a class and thought, what? You can make up whatever you want and be whoever you are in a moment on stage and people will, like, go along with that? <laughs> I mean, I liked studying theater and, you know, exploring characters and, you know, imagining what Shakespeare was actually thinking when he was right. writing his stuff. But I also just like the idea of pulling your own stuff out. So I started doing improv in San Francisco, and I still did theater. And I also found the Asian American Theater Company there, which was just beginning. So I was in the beginning stages of that with people like David Henry Huang, who went on to get a Tony Award, and Philip Kanbotanda, and all these really exciting artists and I mean it's always great to be in that beginning right it's got to be a certain because you're you're on the forefront and it's just a matter of because you know San Francisco had such always had such a big stand-up scene and yeah. and the things but you were in the beginning of the the the, the Asian theater group which right. which was must have been very cool because now people sit there and go wow you know she's one of the reasons why we perform is because something they came up when no one else was doing it yeah it was really like you know you felt like 
emotionally and uh, spiritually connected to something. You know, because sometimes when you're acting, you feel, you know, what's the point of this? Are you making a difference in the world? I mean, you're making people happy for a minute, I guess. Or you, But you want people to shift their thought process in some way. You know, or, yeah, how they feel about the world when they walk out of something that you've done. And that, certainly, I felt with the Asian American Theater Company. But, you know, it was exhausting creating something new all the time and working with new writers and Sometimes, you know, selecting plays, it was like just finding the least worst. Just come up a little closer. I will. Okay. Now, so now, so now you're doing that, and how long did you do that for? At the Asian American Theater Company, I was there for like seven years. Okay, so now you're doing that, you're loving it. You're, I was loving it. And so now, when do you decide, was there a certain impact where you said, I got to move to L.A., or I mean, what brought you down to L.A., what made you pursue that? I think it's always, for me, not feeling as though I'm being challenged enough as a performer, as an artist. And I, I, uh, I had created a great little world for myself because the improvisers also were the ones that did all the voice work in the city. So I was making probably more money than any other uh, person of color in that city. <laughs> you know what? It sounds so bad, but, you know, I was like one of the top voice um the female voices in the city. I was making a lot of money, bought a house, um, but I was like, you know, what's this about? It probably would get, I mean, you sit there because, you know, you, I just said you, you found the improv late and you, you were sitting there and then you're doing that and you're doing the theater and the voice work, I mean, it's something where, where it's where it's very lucrative. It is. But it's also sometimes it's not challenging for the no. fact that you're not, you're going in, it's basically you're going in by yourself. Right. And you're laying some tracks down mm-hmm. and then you're done and you're probably going, okay, what else? what else because it's anything where it's great but then it's a day where you sit there and probably go okay you know what What else can i do now exactly and and san francisco is a small town so i'd worked with everybody in that city (laughs) so i said i should check out la so i started coming down to la just visiting friends because other friends had moved down here just taking classes and you know checking it out and an apartment opened up next to a friend and i thought that was a sign so i just moved I moved, started all over again. Yeah, because that's always say, you know, you, you were established in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but it's a big, and now must be also though, it must have been hard for the fact that you want to develop your career, you want to be challenged, but then it must be hard to walk away from that Money. ching, that cash, because you're going, wait a second, I'm, I have the, you know, I mean, so did you go back and do voice work and come down here? Or were you, did you do that for a while? I did for six months. I was like going back and forth. It'd be like I'd come down here and my agent say, you have your book for tomorrow. And I'd be like, oh, and I didn't even know. I lived in Silver Lake then, too. I didn't even know that Burbank Airport existed. So I was going back and forth to LAX. Oh, man. That was before the 105. I see. That's so funny. When you go when you go to Burbank, I mean, I fly out of Burbank (laughs) once in a while because it's. I, I, I did a few weeks ago Ugh. and me and my girlfriend were sitting there and we were going to a friend's wedding in Vegas and you know you're used to LAX you know oh wait a second we have to go two and a half hours or three hours before and then we're not thinking and we live in Burbank <laughs> and we sit there and we go we're sitting there going we're, we're flying on a Burbank airport and we go I go what time should we call the Uber and she's like you know one I was like that's like an hour and hour and 45 minutes before the flight well I want to be I go it's Burbank she goes I want it so you know, you got to make her happy. You don't want her to stress out because she stresses if you're going to the airport. So I called the Uber at, you know, let's say an hour and 45 minutes before the flight, an hour and 30 minutes before the flight, we're at our gate. I know. <laughs> sitting there going, I'm going, wait a second. Oh. There, there's no security? Wait, and because it's so funny. I mean, it's- They I always, have security. But there's no one ever in nobody line. ever there. Yeah. <laughs> so you go through security for, you know, in five minutes. It's, um, I love Burbank. It's so good so great but anyway in those days i didn't know so i was going back and forth all the time constantly i had a lot of mileage but you know and then i finally said to my agent that i had to bite the bullet go on unemployment start here i just had to start fresh but you know i had trouble finding a voice agent see that's amazing (laughs) i know it's so funny you're working you're working on this stuff and it's like you would think first of all they would go well hey i mean it's, it's not like you didn't have a reel you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, that's so you, you had trouble finding a voice agent. I had trouble finding a voice agent. I had a guy up north who got me his voice agent. His voice agent was like, yeah, you know, he called me. He said, what? You got to get this. You got to take this lady. And I'm like, okay. I 
you know, I mean, yeah. it always is the kindness of not strangers. He was a friend, but you know, it's always, you don't know where those people are coming from that help you out. You know, I'm nice to everybody, but, <laughs> but this you, don't doesn't mean that, yeah. you don't expect people to, you know, really watch out for you or take care of you or give you favors. But I do that now. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to pay it forward. Well, if anybody I, I, wants anything, I'm like, I'm there. I think that's always good. I think that's yeah. just because, you know what? There's so many pricks out here that when you're yeah. nice. And the thing is, we we always say that, but there also, there are so many nice people out here. And what happens is not everyone always gets to meet them, but there's so many. I mean, I've gotten this from doing the show where mm-hmm. I've met so many successful actors like you and, and you know, you guys had a career and tons of like you look at imdb you go holy crap that's a lot of credits and you're the nicest people and i think that's the reason why you end up having a career is because you're nice people and if you're a prick i think a lot of times people go hey you you might have gotten this tv show but now you know what we don't want to work with that person and and people think oh no, that's yeah. never going to affect me but i think it does after a while everyone goes i don't because no one wants to work with someone who's a jerk i mean no matter what job you do if yeah. you work in a restaurant you don't work with a manager yelling at you all the time yeah, no, I don't want to ask. I don't even, you know, I, <laughs> no, I don't, I try not to be around people that are unpleasant, period. It's good. So now, now when you're down here and mm-hmm. you, you start getting some small parts or, mm-hmm. or you're finally getting some work and then you end up getting the uh, sitcom. Now, how long did it take to do sitcom with Margaret Cho? Oh, that was, um, so I moved here in 87 and I, I got an agent probably 80, the end of 87, beginning of 88. And I started doing little jobs. You know, I'd like get, I think the first job, I just finished working with Joanna Kern. She's a director now. Okay. Anyway, she was, uh, my first gig was Growing Pains. What did you do? I was a doctor on the show. And Joanna Kearns, I remember, was so lovely to me. She just, we sat and chatted in the makeup chair. And I just thought, geez, she's a big star. And she's so nice. (laughs) And now, you know, I'm sitting across from her going, you know, you were in my first job and you were so wonderful and now she's like oh thank you you know I mean it's true that those moments make it you know make it you feel like oh this is something I might be able to do this makes it safe because it is scary especially when you walk onto the set for the first time first time I don't know what the hell's going on Growing Pains was a pretty damn big show it was huge plus you had Alan Thicke and you had Kirk Cameron you had all these people I mean it was a big show so were you, were you nervous? I mean, was it, was it? I was terrified, but you know what? I had the theater background. I tell you, I have in theater and it's, you know, it's like a play, a sitcom like that, a multi-camera sitcom. You rehearse uh, for a week and then you shoot it in front of an audience. So it was like a little mini play. And I thought this is something I could do. And I think I did the Tracy Ullman show at some point. I mean, I did have little jobs here and there and sort of to make my way. I also managed to do uh, the Gong Show, which was peopled by improvisational actors. Um, what was your What was your act? I was Coco, which was a, a Japanese pop star, and she won the Gong Show. So I, um, I got I got after a scale plus seven hundred and eleven dollars for winning. <laughs> it was a strange amount of money. I love that. But show. I said hello. And I got residuals, and I think I might have gotten life, ins- life insurance, health insurance, <laughs> life. too, and life insurance. <laughs> Chuck Barris, life insurance. That's I'm right. Chuck Barris for life insurance. So, okay, so now you're doing that, and you're yeah. working, and so you're working. You're getting- I'm working, kind of, not a lot, though. It's, you know, I'm still on unemployment. It's not that great. I mean, considering how much I was doing in San Francisco, and it was difficult, and I remember, um, and I also speak Japanese. So a job came up where I was in, uh, working in Monterey around 89, 90, where they said, um, well, so it was a Japanese American co-production. I was an interpreter for the DP. So I thought I'm going to make a thousand bucks a week, which is great. And I'll learn about film. I'll learn about everything, which is good. So it'll be, you know, a paid internship, even though I'm going to be working as the interpreter. Well, that was six days a week, 18 hour days with the DP. I learned a lot, but I also learned that I never wanted to do that again. Okay. And I remember standing in the mud of a strawberry field with the the hot sun pouring down on me and the actors going to the trailers thinking, I will never complain about anything again. Because, you know, I used to be an actor who was walking right. to trailers that were air conditioned. 
Nobody asked me if I wanted water. So it was like, you know, that really is a humbling experience being there. I learned a lot, but I also thought, thought as God is my witness, I'm never doing this again. And I realized that what I wanted to, what I just had to follow my passion. So during that time, I got a call from a theater here and they said, I, we heard you had a solo show. I didn't have a solo show, but I said, yes. <laughs> and they said, well, could you send it to us? And I said, ah, you know, I'm here in Monterey. This is before the internet, before any of that stuff. I said, it's, I don't have it with me. So I'll, you know, get it to you when I get back. I got back. I wrote that show in like a month and I put it up and it became a huge hit. What was it called? It was called Tokyo Bound. Okay. My first solo show. Huge, huge hit. Got a call from the Northwest Asia. No, I got San Francisco's Asian American Theater Company, where I had worked for years. Called and said, we want to do the show here. I said, okay. Expanded to an hour. Okay. So I did it there. Then I did it in uh, at the Northwest Asian American Theater in Seattle. And uh, then I brought it back to Los Angeles. And it was on the front page of the calendar section. It was like the big hit of the year. Sylvie Drake. Do you remember her? No, I would. I, you, were, you weren't here yet? No. That was 91. I was doing the show and that is what opened up the doors. So that one show and just as you say, it's like everyone always says this. It's it's a matter of that that it's a break. It's a lucky break sometimes, but when you get that lucky break, you have to deliver. So basically you, you said, okay, which I which was smart. Going, yeah, I have it. And then you had to sit there and go, you know what? Why? Well, I, I, I got to get off the pot. I got to produce. So you produced it and it became a hit. And all of the experiences that you've had to that point all make sense. It's like working with an Asian American theater company. Well, I worked with all these companies, so they knew me. They knew that I would produce, that I, you know, that I could put something up. But they also um, provided me that experience of working with new playwrights for years and seeing what works and doesn't work. I directed there too, so I also knew what works and doesn't work. And the improvisational uh, experience helped me to write because it was like, you know, one of the keys of improv is introducing new information. You know, you gotta keep moving the ball forward. So, you know, I wrote these shows like I was doing improv. It was like just exploring. And so, so doors start opening. Doors start opening. So, like, I know, was that when you got the sitcom, or did you get other things? Close or? after that, because then I was uh, doing a lot of traveling with that show. Well, I also, you know, had people from CBS or all these networks were coming and saying, we would love to give you a deal. Do you have any other ideas? And I'm like, okay, I wasn't prepared for this. I don't right. have any ideas besides <laughs> what I did. And that was exhausting. But they knew who I was now. Um, by that time, I had an agent. And also, um, I was touring a lot, and that's when I ran into Margaret Cho because I was in San Francisco, and we were uh, headlining something together. I was doing my show, and she was doing her show, and we were on the same bill. And I remember thinking, Margaret is so – she has such a unique voice. I hope she gets out of San Francisco and people get to see her. Like a month later, I see her at, in L.A. at an Asian American Journalists Association. I'm doing a bit – of something else, not my show, but I'm doing my mother and she's doing something else. So she sees me doing my mother. So she requests me as her mother to come in and audition for her new pilot. I'm like, oh, <laughs> why did I think that nothing would happen for you? <laughs> <laughs> La di da. But you know, again, luck, fortune. So I go in and I audition for the mother. And, um, and there's a grandmother part. And I ask if I could do the audition for the grandma. Why did you want to do that? It was a much better part. Okay. You know, when you're the mother in that, I don't know, did you watch the show? I remember the show, yeah. Yeah. The mother is just basically a foil. A straight, a straight yeah. yeah. So it's like they're just bumping heads, bumping heads, bumping heads. There's no real fun to that. The grandmother was a quirky character. Plus, I had been doing my mother for years in improvisational comedy, and my mother was very much like her mother that she plays in her comedy. Um, anyway, so I felt like I could do the grandmother part really well. 
they were concerned at the network that I was too young because I was, I think, maybe 40. And you weren't, yeah, I mean, it was, you were barely old enough to be her mother. Right. Okay. So, but I'd been doing this old lady for, you know, years. <laughs> so I went in with the wig and I remember at the network audition when I with another actor. I walked in, he goes, why are you wearing that wig? <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. I'm auditioning for network. You look stupid in that wig. <laughs> anyway, in spite of him, I managed to uh, get the pilot. I was on probation because the network was really concerned that I didn't look old enough and I couldn't really portray this character. But, you know, it got picked up and I, I, you know, I was one of the, I think, one of the most popular characters on the show. And what I love is people thought I was old. You know, that's when theatrical training kicks in. Right. You know, I played her as realistically as possible. But because of the improv, they also gave me a little bit of room to sort of play with her. Now, that's, that lasted for a season, I believe? It was the only season. Okay. But now that, <laughs> but that must have been a great. Well, first it of all, there, and there wasn't really Asian-influenced TV series Mm-mm. before that. I mean, I'm trying to think off the... Well, I'm, they had Mr. T and Tina okay, I with uh, I Pat Morita. Okay. And his daughter. <laughs> but so, you, so the, that ends, and it must be sort of bum, yeah. a bummer for you, but it must have been great because you sat there, and basically, it, once again, it came out of nowhere pretty much, and you sat there, and you you had the chutzpah to sit there and go, I want to read as a go- this grandmother, which mm-hmm. a lot of people, first of all, a lot of people don't want to look older. Like, I don't, I don't want to, no, I don't want to do that. And you're probably like, well, I can nail this character. I don't care. Right. I don't care what I look like. I just want to do an interesting character. So, I mean, I've always been sort of a character actor, even in high school. I, well, you know, in high school, of course, everybody's always playing older. Nobody right, has, no. writes anything for a 17-year-old. <laughs> hey, a 17-year, so. uh, Tennessee Ernie Williams. No, I was <laughs> doing arsenic and old lace. And, for 14. You're, yeah, you're, you're, I was fabulous. <laughs> I was always playing older. But, and somebody's mother. But, um, yeah, you know, it was really... Because a lot of my actor friends, I mean, when I did the gong show, my actor friends were like, oh, Amy, no. <laughs> like, what? This is going to be fun. I never think it's the end of my career when I do things. If I enjoy, if I am curious about, you know, this character and I want to explore it, I don't have a problem. So, um, yeah, this, when I did this show also, people were like, oh, Amy, why, why would you want to play older? What, am I going to be the ingenue in the show? No, it's just a wonderful character role. And I was right. If you follow, you know, your heart. Now, after that role, did that start opening more doors for you? Well, I know you did the Seinfeld, which is... Yes. Which, that's still... that's. I always say this because there's a lot of people who have been on Seinfeld episodes, and I know some of the writers, and I'm sure none of you guys thought when you had, had started, you know, you got that role that, it would play and play and play and yeah. play and play and then go to Hulu and play and go here and play. And hey, look, every other country. I mean, when you got, I mean, what season was it when you did Seinfeld? Was it early oh, or in the middle? It was early, I think, because, um, or maybe in the middle, I guess. it was probably, it was right after. It was like the next year, I think. So, so it must have been 95, 96. Right, 95. Yeah, something like that. So now did you think when you auditioned for that part that it would just people would maybe be such a huge part. I mean, no, I, I mean, I loved the show and I thought it was really funny and I was more, you know, what I was excited about was working with Jerry Stiller. Cause I used to watch him Stiller and Mira on the Mike Douglas show in right. black and white, run home from school, turn on the TV, watch him and his wife be hilarious. So wonderful. And I, the week was like a dream come true. You know, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, all the young people, uh, I mean, I love them, but I thought, Jerry Stiller. Right. And you, and you get the great Stiller. role of them. I mean, it's, it's, a, yes. it's a classic role. And he was always like, Can, you know, do you mind rehearsing? I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> no, I'll rehearse all day with you. It's so wonderful. So now you're working through the years, and now are you doing any voice work? I mean, I know you're constantly working, but in that time, because I know later you did King of the Hill and stuff like that. Right. But in that time, did you get a chance, because as you were getting more work and getting accomplished and being in different series Mm -hmm. and different shows, did you ever sit there and go, hey, you know what, now I I can sit there and go, I can do this voice work, or did you keep away from voice work for a while? 
No, I, you know, I was approached after All American Girl. I think they started do the doing the uh, HBO fairy tales for every child. They were looking at more diverse stuff, and I started doing some voice work for that. But before that, also the All American, the my Tokyo Bound show, that also turned into writing. So I was writing for PBS because they were trying to create a diverse show for PBS called The Puzzle Place. So I wrote for that. So I also became a Writers Guild member. I mean, I tell you, that Tokyo Bound opened up a lot of doors. And I was terrified of all of them (laughs) opening. Because, you know, to some extent, success is, because you feel like you can't, you don't want to disappoint people. Right. That you, they think, oh, you're so fabulous and wonderful. And you think, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not that good. <laughs> I, don't get excited. <laughs> I might not be as good as you think I am. So, you know, every time I wrote something, I'd always expect them to come back with notes that said, you know, you might want to give this up. Well, how are you balancing it, though? Because you sit there because you're acting and writing, and they're both very consuming. And it seems like you're well, writing on PBS, so it's something different than... You're acting, you're doing a lot of sitcoms, you're doing a lot, so it's something... During All American Girl, I would sit in my trailer on breaks and write for The Puzzle Place. That's what I did. It was so... Because I didn't... I wasn't like a central character. I was this um, sort of a satellite character that came in and out and was really funny (laughs) and wonderful. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of drama around. Like, Margaret had a lot of drama going on around her because she was the star of the show. So, you know, I had kind of a good gig. I just, uh, I wrote and, you know, some people, it was just like perfect. And then because of All-American Girl, I uh, started getting like voice stuff because people sort of, I think a lot of people thought that I was actually an old Korean lady. So (laughs) I got a lot of old Korean things and old Chinese things and old, you know, that's, I think, Seinfeld, it was the same thing. I think they thought maybe I was that old Korean lady, so they brought me in as Jerry Stiller's old girlfriend. I know what you're sitting there going. Now, now <laughs> like, how did you go into the audition? Did you go in normal or did you get that way? No, again? I didn't even, I don't think I auditioned. I think they just, they said, do you want to be in the salon? You want this character or that one? And I said, well, the one that I picked didn't have to speak Korean. <laughs> I'd like the one that doesn't speak Korean because, you know, I'm actually not Korean and I don't speak Korean. I learned a couple of things for Margaret's show, and that was it. So as you're acting, now, so as you're, and you were in different sitcoms like Pauly. You were in that. Oh, I love that show. Now, what happened with that? How that part oh, came no, around? Oh, no, Pauly was so hated. Right. It, it was such a fun. He's a doll. He's so sweet. He's like, well, you know, with us, he was just delightful. Well, I think what it was, was I think for him it was the character he played. I think like on MTV, I think people just didn't like the character and they didn't know that a lot of people don't know that that's a character. He's not, I'm sure he's not walking around in life going, I'm the wheeze. You know, I'm sure they don't. He's kind of that way. Okay. He's that way, but he's like toned down. And, you know, he's kind of the same guy. Kind of this like Beverly Hills Valley, I don't know what it is. But, you know, maybe a a little bit too much pot, I don't know. But just sort of laid back, sweetheart, nothing really bothers him. I mean, I don't, wouldn't want to marry him or be his right. girlfriend. It would drive me crazy. But as a somebody to hang out with, he was really wonderful. And his caricature that he created is just a bigger version of that. Now but you- I was like, nobody even looked at the pie. Nobody looked at anything before they were already like tearing it apart. See, that's awful. And that must it be is. awful when you're involved with something, too. And you're like, wait a second. Give it a chance. Now, you're also on Strip Mall, which mm. uh, which I, it's so funny. A few weeks ago, I had Jim O'Hare. And a few, few weeks before that, I had Julie Brown. And that was a great cast. I mean, <gasps> And that was like, as Jim O'Hare said, he's not complaining. He goes, the budget wasn't that big. No, we got like a buck fifty a week. <laughs> we didn't care. We didn't care because it was all our theater friends, improv friends. It was like we played. For two seasons. That must be great. I mean, that must be something that's really just uh, fun because you're getting to encounter other people who have the, so much the same right. background as you. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was so much fun because it was like, how big can you go? And I was like, I could go big. And I mean, and nobody said, oh, pull it back a little. I was such a giant character. I was this 
you saw, I don't know if you saw the show, but it was, it was this lesbian who ro- owned a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant called Walk, Don't Run. And by the end of the show, by the end of the seasons, we were killing people and eating them. That was my secret <laughs> thing. My, uh, my lesbian uh, girlfriend and I, it was so much fun. It was so crazy. Oh, I loved it. Now, now it must have been interesting for you because you've seen through the years that the roles for Asians have grown. Right. Like for you, you were sort of in the forefront and now mm-hmm. and you started getting more sitcom roles. Did you start seeing the roles become more deep or did you see them more go crazy? I mean, what, 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 how has it developed in your eyes? Well, you know, I mean, I think in many ways that Asian Americans have sort of stayed in that same niche where they are uh, doctors or uh, they're more serious <laughs> characters that are, you know, there are those characters in any show where it's the person of diversity. So it's going to be the medical examiner, the doctor, the uh, somebody supporting. So it's been very long time coming to have leads, interesting leads. And, um, I think it's, or also, you know, little characters in the periphery that are funny. Like, I play that a lot in the periphery. But I've also played a lot of nurses. You know, in many ways, I felt like many times over the years, since my heyday, that I had uh, parts that were things that I would have gone out for when I first moved here. You know, it was like, really? You know, uh, maybe I should just stop. Maybe I should just go back to theater because this is not exciting anymore. I, I, I'm all, I feel like sometimes I'm being paid not to act. This doesn't happen. I mean, I've had another resurgence of exciting material, which is I feel so grateful for. But they are not dependent on me being Asian. They are um, just character parts. So it, it's really it's really come to a point where now it it's not, an ethnic anymore it's not no. ethnic anymore it's, it's one of those roles where they go anyone can play this and you right. get to go out for it in my case okay yeah it's been really great um so but i'm uh, but i'm you know on i'm in my world watching shows like you know fresh off the boat which i think is enormously successful and so funny and so you know really attacking you know things that issues in a real way in a funny way the actors are so good. And I mean, you know, like Daniel Day Kim on Lost, his storyline, him and his uh, wife's storyline was really good. There were, and he's wonderful. And then he's now on Hawaii Five O, and he's, you know, he's somebody that, you know, Asian American kids can look up to and right. go, you know, this even, is possible. Even the one guy who's in Hawaii Five O who played like the, who's married to the police girl mm-hmm. he he was a bad guy there but then he goes and murder in the first and he plays the head of the police right. so it's good that those roles and you're right i don't think people sit there and go you know years ago they go oh, wait there's no you know asian yeah. head. but i don't think they look at that anyway anymore no, that way. No. no i mean i feel like the, the 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 color of television is changing you know it's finally becoming i mean it's not there yet but it's becoming more diverse and it's a, you know it's something that i think we're really moving towards now, you've also done, I know you were on the show with Alex Trace for an episode, and you've done some dramas. Yes. Now, now, what is that like when people sit there and they know you as a comedic actor, because you've done a lot of comedy? When you go in for that drama, do they look at you different, or do they sit there, I mean, do they sit there and go, okay, or do you feel like you have to really do that much better because they have in your head, well, you know what, she was the woman from Seinfeld, or this. I mean, how do you sit there and go to an audition like that? Well, you know, I try to approach every audition the same way. Uh, I, I think my mind still works in a way that uh, sees irony or, you know, I see many levels in every character. So I never see a character as being just one thing. So, you know, I think hopefully they will be open to me finding uh, those levels in every character. But I do remember, I had an audition a long time ago, but it was when I'd been doing a lot of sitcoms, and I went into audition for something for the Disney Channel, and I, before I even opened my mouth, the, the director said, this isn't a comedy. And I thought, why are you saying this? I mean, why would you say that to me before I even opened my mouth? 
it just put me off so much. And it was like I couldn't even, I felt like I couldn't even perform. Well, yeah, that would, that would that's like a dick so, move. It's like, it's such a dick move. Because you, you're sitting, you're, you're in the, so you're sitting there in your head going, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to nail this. And they go, it's yeah. not a comedy. And you're it's not like, a comedy. But he said it like accusatory. Like I was going to do something like sticky. Right. But I wasn't planning to do anything, <laughs> you know, and it was like, are you kidding me? What did I, I did? What indicated that I was going to do? And the casting person came out afterwards and said, he's been doing this to everybody all day. I'm so sorry. It's just awful. It was awful. Cause I walked out thinking, you know, if I got this part, I'd say, no, I don't want to work with him. Yeah, he's a jerk. He's a jerk. How that jerk. <laughs> so now, okay. Now, now the voice work, I'm going to get back to the next. I know you, you did King of the Hill. Yes, I did. Now, did they know of your work? Did you have to audition for that? Or because that was a very big show. And- no. Uh, you know, the voice stuff I never had to audition for. King of the Hill or uh, also I'm on American Dad. Right. I didn't audition for those things. Now, in King of the Hill, <laughs> was your voice was the neighbor? I was, uh, uh, no. I played various roles. If there was an Asian, I was in it. So I, I played the uh, the football player's mom. Okay. Who was... Uh, Samoan, so I had a different voice for the Samoan, and then I also played uh, somebody, the grandpa, I don't know anybody's name, the the dad's l- girlfriend in Japan. Okay. When they went to Japan, I was his old girlfriend, but I also did looping on that. When they were in Japan, they needed a lot of Japanese voices, so I I think they got a two for one on that. Where it was <laughs> the same episode, doing the various Japanese voices. And then um, I played uh, Khan's mother. Okay, Khan's the neighbor. Korean guy. Yeah. Who's, who's Toby Huss. I mean, Huss. not the Korean, Cam- Cambodian. Laotian. Toby Huss. Toby Huss is Khan. He's good. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's he's I saw his. I, when I first, you know, it was like I, I was at one of those, because they recorded together. Okay. Which was really wonderful to be able to come in and work in that it, environment you really got a sense of the show and, and you, you get really to feed off yeah. each other and a lot of times you don't you go in and you just do your little thing and leave which is time-wise great but you know it's not the same i like to be with people but i remember thinking he's a white guy <laughs> he's white and he's white white i mean he's, he's really white he's, like, he's whiter than me and he's <laughs> so good <laughs> you know if you could do the job i'm there now you also did curb your enthusiasm I did. Now, that must have been, I mean, was that because they remembered you? I mean, because everyone says that's a completely different monster because that's all ad-lib. That's all improv. Well, that's perfect. I mean, that was like, I, I felt, I always felt like I needed to be on that show because of an improv show. And I'm like, I can do that. And it, it was a perfect fit. I don't remember if I imp- auditioned. I don't know if I did. I think I might not have auditioned for that. And I came back again, I think, and auditioned for other parts as well. But, um, yeah. I didn't, I just did that one. It was fun. It was easy. They just tell you, they give you, this is what we're going to do. We want to go here and here. Go. And that's right up your alley. That's basically it. Yeah. I went, okay, I can do that. And then now you've done, you did a soap opera. I, that was hard. No, because you did General Hospital. I did General Hospital for 12 episodes. Now I, that's what I was going to say. I've heard that doing soap operas are really, really hard because you really have to like learn lines every night. Yes. And, it's just, and you have to sit there. And a you, lot of lines. I mean, so how do you do that coming from, you know, well, I mean, you learned your, the, the show Tokyo Bound. You learned, yeah. and you learned your script parts. Right. But as again, with your one person show, when you sit there and after you do it, you, you already know because you practice it. And as you go along, you can tweak it. You can do that. I mean, it's just, you're, you've done it for a while. With a soap opera, when they're sitting there going, okay, learn this, learn this. I mean, how do you sit there? I, I know you, you know, everyone concentrates, but it just, it, was it a pain in the ass? It was really crazy because here's the other thing about soap operas the story doesn't change every day so 12 episodes they were pretty much this i felt like i was saying the same thing every episode i said you have postpartum depression probably 500 times and i don't know how many different ways i said it but it was like every time i would say something i think deja vu all over again didn't i just say that i mean did i say it was that the line i was supposed to say or did i just say Is it yesterday that I said that? Or it was crazy. And I remember in the final episode. So the woman that I was working with, she had postpartum depression, as I said, and so she was crying a lot. She had all these episodes where she was depressed, and I'd say, well, it's because you have postpartum depression, because I was the therapist. 
in the final episode, she had to cry again and have another breakdown. And I remember her talking to the director saying, why am I crying all the time? And I'm thinking, where have you been? In the episodes we've been doing, you have postpartum depression. I guess I'm not really communicating well. That's just, yeah, it's so, it must be so weird just to say, because every, and it's the same thing, you know, you sit there and you go, did I say that before? And it's like anything, when you're, when you're repeating something, you don't, you don't know. No, like, I don't. Like for you, you're sitting there going, I could have said that. And it, must, I, and it probably throws your acting game off because you're like, wait, did I screw up my lines? Or? Because it's not like a regular, you know, part. It doesn't go have an arc that way, you know? It's just like, to, you know, to recap, you have postpartum depression. Right. <laughs> and it's just slightly different every episode that you do. Now, now, do you still write? I do. Yeah, I'm, um, you know, I write short things I also you know now I'm also the mother of a for the last 15 years I've been a single mom okay so that's taken away some of the writing because I just don't find the time but during that time we've I've done two shows with my daughter one was a show because here's the thing people say do you have another solo show we'd love to see another show from you so I say yes because that's the only way I will actually finish a show So I did a show at LATC when she was about seven, and it turned out to be a show about my mother passing. And, um, but it was about, you know, what have I done for the last 10 years? You know, I don't, you haven't seen me for 10 years. Well, this is what's happened. But you've been working. Oh, I've been working. Yeah. yeah, So I did tell some Hollywood stories. You've been on Castle? You've been on Mentalist? I have. You got to work with two very handsome men. I did. I did. (laughs) And they were... Very, everybody was very, uh, yeah, I'd have to tell you the mentalist though. It was hard to stay focused because every time he came over and talked to me, I'd be like, oh, I have a line. <laughs> what was that? He's so handsome. I know. And he's got that accent. <laughs> You're oh like, my God. God. <laughs> so hard. So now the one, the, the one person show you did, you said was uh, about your daughter? No, about your mom passing. My mom passing. And then the last one I did was, because uh, she was adopted. So the last one I did was at, uh, the Japanese American National Museum and the Democracy Forum. They have a space. And I did a two days. And it was about that experience of adoption. And her also, she wrote her part where she, how she experiences adoption as an adoptee. Okay. So she also was able to create her story, then my story, and she performed all my characters. That's cool, though. Now, now it do was you- really great. Do you want her to follow you in your footsteps? Yeah. Or, no. I mean, what would you like? Your What would you like? To, how old is she? She's 15 now. Okay. So now she's at that age where it's like, okay, you know, it's, they start deciding like my niece is going to go to college next year, but she's like, she wants to go to advertising, but she's looking at Jesuit schools. And it's like, well, you know, they're not always the best for advertising, but no. it's like you're at that age. I mean, what, do you, what would you like her to do? I'd like her to make a living. Okay. Do, <laughs> doing whatever she wants. Whatever she chooses to do. I would like her to find a passion. But um, I I don't know what it is. She likes performing, but she doesn't have a passion for it. She, you know, like I was always, you could tell I was going there because that's all I wanted to do. Um, she likes dancing, but she doesn't really, you know, drop everything to dance. She will if she decides to. She can focus. Right. <laughs> But, you know, now she's really just like kind of, she's thinking, she came to the set. I was working on a show on Amazon this summer. She came to the set a lot because it was during the summer called um, Just Add Magic. It's on Amazon Prime. It's out now? One episode. The pilot's out, but the rest of the shows, I think, start airing in January. Um, So then she thought, you know, watch hair and makeup and go, you know, I might want to do that. (laughs) Because she likes hair and makeup. So that's Who good knows? Though. Exactly. Well, as long as, you know, she'll probably do something in the field and follow you. She might. So now the, the Amazon show, and I, see, because I have Amazon Prime, I may have to go, I'm going to go watch it. Is it sitcom? Is it drama? What it's is it? a kid's show, but it's like Harry Potter. Okay. So it's more like, it's single camera, and it's, 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 I can act. I get to act like a regular act. I mean, it's not like I'm being funny. It's not like, it's anti-Disney, anti-Nickelodeon. Very down-to-earth, dramatic. Now, what's the age group that's focused towards? It's focused on uh, preteen. Okay. Because now, though, just say no, if it becomes a hit, you better get ready because you're going to have a whole new 
crowd of fans who are going to be, they are rabid. Well, you know, I've done a lot of Disney and Nickelodeon. I did uh, That's So Raven. Okay. And I did, uh, yeah, Jesse. I did a lot. I've done a lot of them. And I already had, <laughs> I mean, it's really great because the kids are wonderful. They just, they're, they're, they, they love me. They go crazy. If they see you anywhere, they'll be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my well, God. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, the Just Add Magic is on Amazon Prime. I don't know. You know, that's one of those things that I don't know who. How. But they, they they have a good crowd. They, they do. Okay. Yeah. Amazon Prime. They have some. They have some. Well, really transparent good, is yeah. on Amazon. And, and Prime. Hand of God just came. Yeah. Out. They have some, some really good great projects. product on that network or whatever it's called. And then you were in Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. With Craig Berko. That I love him. Another very handsome. Uh, I man. did another show with him years man. ago. We were on <laughs> Baby Talk together when he was young and you know cute. And I remember. And then he's still cute. But he's older. And um, yeah, so that show was another wonderful gift. Who knew? All I, I got a call. They said, you got to go up to Vancouver. I didn't know what it was, really. I kinda, It was based on this short that I saw. And the short was really great. But the character I was portraying really wasn't, you know, like, there wasn't enough for me to grasp onto. So I didn't know what they really were wanting from right. me. But I played the therapist uh, on a... Did you ever watch the show? No, I've seen I've seen it. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I've seen the pictures, but I was like, I gotta check it out. Yeah, it's really good. It's like the behind the scenes machinations of a show like The Bachelor. Okay. And I play the therapist who divulges a lot of information about the contestants in order to create drama, which is you know not a very good thing for a therapist to do. But a great and it role. It goes a great against your. But, but it must be a great role. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was a great role. So, you know, I sort of created my own idea of who this therapist was and why she would be doing something so with lacking in integrity. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it was a, a great opportunity. And the people involved were so wonderful. I mean, uh, Constance Zimmer, I think you know from uh, a lot of things, and Sherry Appleby, another wonderful person. You know, they moved their whole fam- They moved everything up there, and they were there for like four months shooting. I flew back and forth. Oh, you got to go back and forth. Yeah, because I have a kid, and well, and I was though. a recurring character, not a regular. And, and, you know, Vancouver. You know, once I again, was, Vancouver's nice, but you know, I don't want to live there. Yeah, it's like Seattle. It's, I'm it's, hoping, it's like almost like Seattle. There's a second season, and I'm hoping it's going to be shot here. You think it will be? I, yeah, well, you know, the tax credits came through, so hopefully. Isn't that big? I mean, that's changed so much stuff. It's like now you, and especially well, for a working actor, you're going, oh, wow, wait, I can actually probably stay in L.A. Oh, a lot more. Because I know people were flying to Atlanta and New Orleans and New Mexico crazy. and Vancouver. And, you know, when you have a kid, it's got to be hard. Yeah. Well, I generally say no. But she's older now, so it was like, okay, I can leave and come back. I right. can't leave because she's not. It's a delicate time, you know. She could go bad. Right. She, she, <laughs> she could join a gang. Those, those gang girls. Those gang girls on a Harley. Yeah. She's, she's got her get tattoos and nose rings. <laughs> so I thought I have to stick around. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, so what else is coming up for you right now? Um, I, you know, I just did something on the, the CW called My Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I keep seeing signs for it. I love that show. I'm playing Lourdes. I get to do a great character. A Filipina mom with a full-on accent, and I'm doing, uh, I'm doing, I'm like the hype man on a hip-hop song. That's cool. I yeah, and I get dressed <laughs> up as a pimp. It's wonderful. So it's really like I, I'm so I feel I'm feeling really lucky. I recur on Mom. Okay. With Alice and Janney, that's another great like, show. gift from the heavens. And um, you know, I mean, life is extremely good, and my daughter's still. Okay. She's not a bad girl. Not she, yet. An, okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you. Now, now do you tweet or do you do any of that? Are you a Twitter? I do. I'll tweet. What, what's your Twitter What's your Twitter handle? I think it's Tokyo Bound. Tokyo That's Bound. That's my okay. solo show, my first okay. solo show. Well, people, look for Tokyo Bound, at Tokyo Bound. And I want to thank you for coming on. And check out her work, people. Go to IMDb, look up Amy Hill. Go check out her old work, because that's always good. And as for Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot, especially because uh, one of those... Uh, there's a one of those um, social debates. media junkies. Well, those oh. debates. I, I always I always make a lot of jokes during the debates because there's such. So follow me on at Cooper Talk. Go to my website CooperTalk.net. There's over 425 episodes up there. You can email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net. 
iTunes, Stitcher, same thing, Cooper Talk. And then go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. It's the low-sodium cookbook I cooked after I got out of the hospital. It's 120 recipes, all easy. No pictures to be intimidated. No tons of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. There's no recipes with cumin. You can cook. So go to StopTheSalt.com. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Barnes & Noble. But if you buy it at StopTheSalt.com, I will sign it, and I make more money. That's all I'm saying. So follow Amy Hill at Tokyo Bound. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week. Yay!